Welcome back to Silver Screen Social listeners. I'm your host, Jackson Vickery, and on this episode, I spoke to costume designer Mark Bridges about his work on Maestro. Please enjoy this costume featurette before the episode begins. I thought maybe you were worth making an exception for. Oh, well, I hope it doesn't cost you too much. How can I make it worth your while? The only way that I was able to go down this path of this movie was that I had to have absolute titans at each head of a department. And, and Mark Bridges, who I had met years ago, when he signed on, my shoulders relaxed. I knew that he was perfect. But what I did not know was just the depth of research, expanding way beyond even what he is the head of a department of. I'm Lenny. Hello, Felicia. Uh, Bernstein, like that one. When I research a figure as well documented as Leonard Bernstein, I would read the script, I would put together images that I thought could illustrate each of the scenes in the film. Are you itching to move? No, I'm not. Partially what was in style at that particular time, and then also a visual reference of Leonard from that period. And try to take my imagination and say, how can we use this? How can it tell the story through the passage of time, as well as illustrate a life? The earlier parts of our film is filmed in black and white. I brought the knowledge that I learned doing a film called The Artist, which was black and white, and knowing how textures read. I knew I had to use high contrast and beads and sequins. They show up well. She really thought about how she interacted with the world in the way that she looked and the way she carried herself. She always had pearl necklace. She always had earrings on her hair was always done. Bradley worked for years with Mark Bridges, figuring out the costumes and looking at the research and looking at the real photographs. We were so lucky to have such elaborate research and such help from the Bernstein family. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I have to be honest, Felicia puts it together. If I was left to my own devices, I would be dressed like a clown. That's the truth, but don't tell anyone. We made a trip to their country house. Lenny, is this all Felicia's idea? I have nothing to do with it. That's her paintings as well. So beautiful. And discovered that there were still some clothes of Leonard's and Felicia in the closet. I was able to see what their taste was. One of my favorite costumes for Carrie is the ice blue sleeveless dress that she wears at the party at their house. We found a prototype of a dress and it was white and sort of the worst for wear. And so we found beautiful fabric and we made it and it just works perfectly for that scene. Fix your hair, you're getting sloppy. This film takes place over a 40 some year period. And so we start the film fashion wise with women purse, jewelry, stockings, high heels, very proper. And by the time we're finished with the film, there's such a change in mores and the way people wear clothes. So it's a great tool, that passage of fashion, to tell that passage of time. I'm just so absolutely honored to be chatting with you today. I I look back at your filmography and they're just so many touchstones um, that have just been so integral in sort of my life and just in 
in the way that I sort of started to love film and just seeing that sort of through line through all of the films that you've been a part of. Um, I mean, it, it's just, it's an absolute honor to be chatting with you today. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Really. Thank you. And to be chatting about Maestro, um, a film I just absolutely love and adore. And I just, I, I can't stop thinking about it. Every time I think I can, I, I can't. Um, so it's just, it's such a special project and I, I can just see all of the, I mean, all of the craftsmanship behind it and how much sort of blood, sweat and tears was, <laughs> were put into it. Yeah, we love doing it. it. It didn't, looking back on it, of course, it doesn't seem like such a daunting task. Yeah, it's a typical movie, but um, there was a lot to it and there was a lot to think about. Uh, how to tell a story from 1943 to 1989, how to change the crowds in each of the sets, whether it's 1943 debut or 1971 premiere of Mass or the orchestra at Tanglewood in, in 1989. You know, you, you're constantly thinking about what, what made that look like that period and how to represent it on film in a way that is is interesting, nice to look at, but doesn't upstage anything. You know, it it sits back and just adds to what's going on in the foreground. Mm. Yeah, no, I am very curious to start out though by asking, I mean, what was your familiarity, I mean, with Leonard Bernstein um, prior to um, joining the project? Uh, I think, my knowledge of Leonard Bernstein was kind of sketchy. Um, I do remember him as a figure of music in my lifetime, certainly knowing I enjoy the film On the Town, which I know that he wrote a lot of the music for that. Once Hollywood got it, they added some songs, but I, I enjoy his music in that. Certainly West Side Story, one of the very first films I ever saw when I moved to LA to work on The Grifters in 1989 uh, was a 70 millimeter version of West Side Story at the art at the Cinerama Dome. Mm. So, so I, I knew about Lenny from that. I remember him having a television show of young people's concerts. Um, I don't think we really watched them, but I knew them as being something happening. So when I came to the project, it, it involved a lot of research, just like any other film. Uh, you find out about these people or, or you, you are tasked with creating a visual life for them. So yeah, you, I looked at a lot of photographs. It's a very well-documented life. And then try to apply those images or those certain times of Leonard and Felicia's lives to the scenes in the script. And um, so that was fun. That was a lot of fun. Mm. And I'm curious if there was a piece, I mean, like you just said, research is so integral to this. And I mean, having such sort of a, an abundance is lovely to have, but I'm curious if there was a particular, I don't know if there was a particular, um, thing or moment when you sort of were able to 
crack the the code of uh, Felicia and uh, Leonard. Yeah, I think as we, you know, the research went on and you read about them and you looked at images of them, you started to understand um, that that character, who they were and how they presented themselves to the world, uh, you know. So uh, Felicia was always a very chic, tailored young lady, even when she first met Lenny. Uh, and and so I applied that to the dress and shawl that we see her the first time in, the idea of that, um, how she would present herself in 1946 at a party of her piano teacher. Uh, and, uh, you know, there are different periods of Lenny's life. You look at photographs, say, from, a, from like 1967, to 72 and most of them if he isn't conducting he's wearing a turtleneck he's wearing a roll neck sweater so you know i figure that's how he wanted to present himself to the world it was practical um he's always rehearsing in drafty theaters but it's also uh what's very hip with the younger kids so that's how he wants to represent himself in the world you know all these things it, it's not Things aren't sort of done by chance, mostly. Um, there is some, some design, some plan to, to how to illustrate each scene. And, um, you know, some, sometimes I just think it looks great. I think sometimes I think it's like it doesn't need any reason. It just looks cool and it's going to look good in this scene, you know. But most of the time, there is a design, there is a plan uh, of how the clothes work in each scene and then in the bigger arc of the film. Mm. And one scene I really want to just hone in on for um, a second, something that I I literally probably play this um, piece in the car um, because I find um, Resurrection to be one of the most sort of stirring um, five, six minutes of film um, of the year. And I mean, just the, I would just love to walk through the construction of how that all sort of fit in your world. And then, um, I mean, day of, I can only just, well, I, I know it was multiple multiple days, but I'm just curious what that, how you put together that particular scene um, and especially touching on, I mean, the, the gorgeous outfit that um, Felicia's wearing. I see, yeah. You know, uh, I think first of all, we were, we had London Symphony Orchestra and London Symphony Chorus to try to make them time travel back to, <laughs> Our film is 1976. I think what concert this is based on is a little earlier. Um, so we we wanted to, they don't really wear the white tie and tails the way that they used to anymore. So we had to outfit, see what they had that we could use, outfit them and, and make them look really spiffy. And then also try to uh, create a world of the 70s for the singers and any of the women in uh, the 
uh, uh, orchestra just to make it believable that time period we created the gowns for the two opera singers um it was an operation that was set up by my wardrobe supervisor in london and so we were pulling clothes i was going over there to look and see what they had they interviewed every single one of those musicians and every single one of those singers uh the day of shooting and then of course we fit all of the or uh, the audience as well so that was a finding and fitting all those women's dresses from the mid 70s and uh certainly men was a mix of suits and tuxes as i think it would have been at the time which made that audience different from 1943 afternoon concert at carnegie hall and it made it different from theater audience for Felicia's Broadway debut, which was all black tie. It's just, it was a great thing to have to put that all together and make it believable. And then, of course, for Felicia, uh, I there was a zeitgeist in, in New York at the time of Halston being very smart and chic and worn by women like Felicia who had their hair done at the, at Kenneth's at, at Bergdorf Goodman and uh, Halston was happening. And it's also a scene about them being reunited. And, uh, you know, we previously see her in a very covered up dark chiffon dress. And I wanted this to be very different. It's It needs to be lighter. It needs to be sexier. It needs to be hope, more hopeful. And so a combinate, and then also very ladylike too. Um, and so there's kind of a riff on a presidential portrait of, of uh, Mrs. Ford, the president's wife. And then there's a, a riff on Halston and his love of chiffon. He, he couldn't use, he never finished finding ways to use chiffon, his favorite fabric. And then it made it just sexy for them, her to feel more vulnerable to her husband and and to to come back together. And so it was really, it was really fun to sort of work that out and see that it worked. And of course you work with Carrie, you bring her an idea, you do a sketch. Uh, and then we do the fittings. We I had wonderful cutters to uh, create the gowns for me there at my office. And, you know, this worked out very well. Mm. And diving into, I mean, into more of their internal life, especially towards the end, I, I'm curious where you were able to sort of glean that research from. Them at the end, meaning like waiting out her terminal illness. Correct. Yeah. You know, I just, I'm always about sort of time and place. And there's also in, of course, we had the Bernstein children to talk to. I could call them up anytime. Um, but I didn't, we didn't, they weren't involved with me so much. We, I met them and they loaned me a piece of Lenny's, uh, a robe of Lenny's, and they lent me a dress of Felicia's. But uh, 
You know, I knew that their mother had rented that house in the Hamptons so that the family wouldn't have the memory of her passing in their usual country house. And so I imagined what it must have been like in in that time uh, waiting for her to pass. And I always just try to do time, be very specific with time and place and uh, the circumstances, you know, and we see her typically self-conscious about her hair, uh, covering it up, uh, you know, in clothes that she would have had sort of country clothes. She wears a little cashmere bed jacket uh, when her friends come and visit. And we purchased that at a at a very old uh, lingerie store on Madison Avenue, which I would always imagine that it's the kind of place that she would have shopped. And I know in one of the biographies about Lenny that in preparation for this period of her life, she went and bought, you know, antique nightgowns and things she prepared for it. So one of the things I think in the last moments that we see her, she's wearing this very beautiful Liberty of London uh, robe. And I felt like a flower motif for that was very pretty and a very pretty way for us to last see her in sort of, a, and and the set decorator had the same idea because when we went on set, the sheets and the uh, pillowcases also had sort of sort of leaves and flowers on them too. So um, we were very much in sync with that idea of of sending her off in a field of flowers kind of thing. So you, 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 you take a little bit from a biography and you take a little bit about who she is and you take a moment of what the time period is and what she would have had ener energy to do about her clothes. And then you, you try to fit it into places where it has some dramatic resonance. Hmm. And at the end of the film, um, the last line is any questions from Leonard. Um, and I'm curious if, like, what is a question that you either have for him or you either have for um, Felicia? Oh, that's interesting. You know, I, I, I feel like I know them very well and I feel like we did everything we could possibly do to honor them, you know, um, you know, Lenny, what what was that fur coat? I have a photo of you wearing a, a man's fur coat uh, outside of Lincoln Center in the late 70s. I'm like, was that coyote? Um, you know, I want to ask him what fur that was. And um, Felicia, you know, she's such a such a fascinating character and has, you know, where did you where did you first start to get your your personal taste was your mother very chic was your grandmother very smart was there always attention paid in your childhood to present how you present yourself to the world or was this something you learned along with acting and piano and and how to be mrs maestro mm. And I'm curious now, where did you learn to present yourself? Oh, School of Hard Knocks. No, um, I, uh, 
<laughs> no, no, I, I, I would love to say that, but you know, it's uh, my, I've always loved clothing and history, you know, as strangely enough. And I do remember in later elementary school being drawn to this book, Mode and Costume, which is oh, oh, all drawings through all the periods of costume. I was just always fascinated by that history and and clothing and uh, was in, of course, theater, high school plays, college, community theater, um, went to Stony Brook, learned, I've come in, I'm going to be a costume designer. And they're like, oh, we'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and then, you know, took a further after getting a BA in theater, worked in New York at Barbara Matera's, which made all the Broadway clothing, all the Broadway costumes. And that was my gap year. And then I went to graduate school at NYU um, just for an MFA in costume design, which, of course, had, you know, a lighting and set design and everything. And then... Uh, you know, got out there and and I had always had my eye on working in films because I always love movies. Um, and so I just started working in that world any way that I could, whether it was like somebody needs a dyer, I'll do that. Somebody needs an assistant, somebody needs a swatcher, somebody needs a shopper. And I began assisting designers. And then I got a phone call I worked on Miller's Crossing for a designer and he was doing a film out here called The Grifters. And he asked if I wanted to come out and assist and nothing was happening in New York. So I came out and I've been here since 1989, <laughs> you know, just working in film. I loved it. I love what I do. And uh, that coming out for that one film really sealed the deal. And so you learn along the way. I assisted Richard Hornung, the designer, for about 10 films. So I took all that graduate school and all that other experience and, and, and was able to use it and, and learn, 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 and then do my own small films. And then one day I get a phone call that I was recommended to a first-time director named Paul Thomas Anderson. And uh, he he needed a costume designer for his first feature. Um, so we met and we hit it off. And 25 years later, now we've done a total of nine films together. So um, that, so that, there's my life story. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just to, I mean, sort of, cap our conversation i'm curious if there um are if there's a character in sort of your history of filmography that you most um personally resonate with i think i am strangely connected to all of them in a weird way yeah oh they all sort of come from me expressing what i think that character would express in presenting himself to the world. And then final question for you, just a two-parter. What do you take away from um, working on this film? And what do you hope that audiences take away um, from watching this film? Mm -hmm. 
That's interesting because again, what I take away from it is uh, just how creative you can be when there's an incredible camaraderie with your fellow uh, collaborators. And that goes across the board with Bradley and Carrie and my production designer, Kevin Thompson and Maddie Labatique, photographer, my assistant designer, Golly Noy, you know, and Michelle Tesoro, who I did not really meet until post because she works after I do my job but it's an incredible group of people and you find out how much you can get done and how joyous the creativity is is when everybody is is hitting the same notes so that's what I took away from that and also I really learned a way to work in New York City um, I learned to make films in LA and it's a different way in New York. So I, I'm better for that experience of working in New York. And then what the audience takes away from this, you know, that they follow the beats of a lifetime and the beats of a love story that is not your average love story. But once again, love prevails you know, and uh, despite the ups and downs. And I I think that's a very strong message for so many people, anybody who's ha gone through this, anybody who, uh, you know, has and has survived it and uh, someone who might be hitting some rough road, maybe this would give them a little guidance and faith. 